Hey, grab your Bibles before you grab a seat. Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Thank you, Charles, for such a beautiful uh, introduction. I feel so honored. Lift your Bible up in the air. Say, this is my Bible. Say, it is the sword of the Spirit. It makes me a deadly weapon against the powers of darkness. It makes me a mighty ambassador for the kingdom of God. Today, take the words from the pages of this book and plant them deeply into the soil of my heart. Bring forth for your glory a great harvest in Jesus' name. Now give two or three people a Bible high five and tell them God has got the very best for your life. God has got the very best for your life. Amen. Would you put your hands together for our musicians and singers? Didn't they do a fabulous job today? And uh, how many people just love Charles and Tessa Fuller? Awesome. I love personality on the, uh, on the stage and color and vibrancy and quick wit and everything. In the 8 a.m., we had the amazing Lance and Alicia who were just kind of uh, personality, you know, kind of in a champagne glass. And, uh, and I've got to tell you, Michael Hundley, what a phenomenal... It's got to be the best offering message I've ever heard in my life. I looked at Leanne. She's emptying our bank accounts and... But uh, that was phenomenal. Amen. Who's blessed already just being here and the baby dedications and Scott and Jenny, just beautiful. So I want you to come with me. We're, we're in the uh, Between the Raindrops series for the whole month of August looking at relationships. And I'm going to tell you the greatest investment. Now, I know ING or you know, a whole bunch of different companies will tell you that you've got to invest in your portfolio. You've got to invest in your future. And absolutely, we believe in investing for, for a day that's not here yet. And other people say you need to invest into your children's education and start you know, a college fund from a young age. And absolutely, we believe that it's a, you know, it's a really great thing to, to be a blessing to your children and help them get through you know, college and do all of that. But I've got to tell you that one thing that seems to be neglected over and over again is the investment into relationships. Whether you realize it or not, you live on a world, in a world where there are other people. It's amazing how many people I meet that have no concept of other people. Whether they're driving on the freeway, whether they're you know, in the mall, it's like, excuse me, do you realize there are other people? Oh, this is just you and Captain You Planet, you know. And uh, but it's anyway. And so re- everyone say relationships. I'm going to tell you the greatest investment you can make is into relationship. In fact, God's investment of His only begotten Son was for relationship purposes. God gave His only begotten Son. Why? So that you and I could have relationship restored with our Heavenly Father. God is a God of relationship. So uh, we're in a relationships month. Last week, if you weren't here, I preached a message called Heaven's Notebook. I only got through two of the points. So today it's going to be part two of Heaven's Notebook. So come with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. I won't be playing the notebook, uh, mainly because Scott Sorensen laughed at me continuously because I cried in the notebook. So let me just kind of clarify. When I say I cried, I cried many times 
in the notebook. Genesis chapter 2, yell out when you're there. Genesis 2 verse, let's go to verse 8. Verse 8 says, the Lord God planted a garden. Everyone say garden. If you have a pen, I want you to underline the word garden in your Bible. How many people know that everything God does, He does with intention, He does with purpose. He has an end result in mind. God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Now I want you to watch this, watch the language. And there He put the man whom He had formed. Whom He had formed, past tense. So God plants a garden eastward in Eden and there he puts the man whom he had formed. So let me just tell you this. Adam was not formed in the garden. He was formed outside of the garden. Adam was formed in the wilderness and then placed in the garden. Very important. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Everyone say tend and everyone say keep. Now say this horrible word, responsibility. Very good. All right. Now come down to verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. Then the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave or be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed and were not ashamed. You might want to underline that as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word this morning. I ask Lord God that you would speak through your servant this truly would be a word in season, that it would be more than just instructional, Father God, but Father, it would, it would bring uh, devotion, it would bring change, it would produce kingdom fruit, it would produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it would produce those things at which there are no law, but Father, rather things that manifest your kingdom here in our lives. So Father, bless this word today in Jesus' name, everybody say Amen. Well, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you. We put everything up onto our website. And if you have the app, you can listen to it on podcast. But point number one last week, very quickly, was that God's plan is companionship. God's plan for you is companionship. The Bible said it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Can I just tell you that the enemy is an isolator. The devil works to isolate you. He wants to get you alone. He knows that when you're alone, you're vulnerable. When you're alone, you're vulnerable to attack. If he can isolate, he can desolate. In fact, the word desolate is, you know, people talk about a desolate area, a desolate area. A, 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 it's a barren area. It's, they call it a, a, a desert, a desolate wasteland. The devil knows if he can isolate you, he can desolate you. If he can isolate you, you, you you're vulnerable. A, a wolf never attacks the pack. A wolf always attacks the isolated sheep. It's very easy to get isolated. 
It's very easy to get isolated. The, the, the way that you get isolated most easily is by being offended. By being offended. It's very easy to get offended in church. Very easy. Because God has entrusted man to run his affairs, to establish his kingdom on the I wish he wouldn't. It'd be so much easier, but then I'd be out of a job. So I'm kind of glad he did at the same time. But he, here's the deal. Uh, my job is to hear from God, and my job is to make decisions. Now, I'd love to tell you that I don't make a decision without God in, in, involved, but I'd be lying to you today. I'd be in danger of being struck by lightning. God, God doesn't, you know, you don't have to say, God, do I buy the yellow shoes or the blue? Just, God will just, just choose. Which one do you like, yellow or blue? Oh, I like that. We'll get those. So you, you'll find that, and because in church, because church it, it can be wherever human beings are, you've got insecurities, you've got ego, you've got pride, you've got prejudice, you've got all of these things. And God understood that. When God says, I'm going to build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and I say to you, Peter, that you, you know, uh, on this rock, I'll build my church and I'll give you the, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's putting, he's giving Adam, uh, sorry, he's giving, giving Adam, he's giving Peter authority that he originally gave to Adam in the garden to exercise dominion over the earth. But he's giving fallen man opportunity. And so you'll meet people, and all of us have, who are no longer in church today because they got hurt. They got wounded. They got offended. And I met people, they got offended because they were on a committee and the church was doing a refurbishment and they were on the committee that said that we ought to have red carpet because red is the color of the blood of Jesus and it represents, you know, the, the new covenant and know that the, the, the other half of the committee said we ought to have green carpet because it's cheaper and it doesn't show the stains as much. And, and so when the green carpet was put in, they got offended and they left you. Can I just tell you, life is too short to get offended over the color of the carpet. Can somebody say amen? And, uh, and yet there are so many people who were, you know, they're hurt and they're wounded because they were left out of the choir and they, you know, went out on a limb to, you know, audition for the choir and they didn't make it on the choir because of politics and they put their own cousin in there and the cousin can't sing half as good as I can and I was in the Broadway musical and it goes on and on and on. Can I just tell you, listen to me, the act of divinity is forgiveness. The act of divinity is forgiveness. While you and I were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. Jesus died while we were reveling, while we were face down in the pig slop of human filth, of sin and depravity. Jesus came and died. He forgave you long before you even asked for forgiveness. And so you will find that what church is all about, this is like a gymnasium for the kingdom of God. This is the, you think, well, it's not a 24-hour fitness anymore. It's a 24-hour fitness for the kingdom. And the greatest muscle, the greatest exercise that you can do is that of exercising forgiveness. When you exercise forgiveness, you are the closest you're going to be to being like God in the earth. When people have hurt you and wounded you and offended you and you forgive them, not because they're begging for it, not because, you know, they're asking for it, not because they've repented, not because they've turned over a new leaf, when you forgive them, despite any change whatsoever on their behalf, you forgive them. You are most like 
God in that moment. And can I tell you, as you forgive, you mature. As you forgive, you mature. The reason forgiveness is so important is because whether you realize it or not, you and I need to get along with other people because it's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, it is a prerequisite that I develop some Christian maturity in my life and learn how to forgive people. Let me just be a spoiler today and tell you people will let you down. Your spouse will let you down. Your friends will let you down. Your work colleagues will let you down. Your family members will let you down. People will let you down. How do I know this? Because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The devil knows if he can get your eyes from Jesus, just lower a little bit to the pastor, lower a little bit to the leader, lower a little bit to your connect pastor, lower a little bit to your Christian friends, lower a little bit to your Christian you know, boss or whatever. If he can just get you to lower your eyes, he knows he can set you up for disappointment. That's why the Bible says lifting our eyes, uh, focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the perfect one, who will never let you down, who will never make a mistake. People will drop the ball. People will let you down. People will make a mistake. When that happens, forgive them. Even Jesus on the cross, looking down at the Romans, gambling for his garments, said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. He, he operated in forgiveness. You and I are called into relationship. The price tag of relationship is forgiveness. Do you know the Bible? The Bible says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The, for, for me, the price tag in, in to have a harmonious relationship is that when I forgive, I have a responsibility to forget. See, a lot of people work on their memory. I'm telling you, you need to work just as hard on your forgettery. <laughs> Do you know the Bible says that God forgives our sins and then remembers them no more? He forgives us of our sins and then remembers them no more. Let me give you a great key in your marriage is when you forgive, forfeit the right to pull it back out of the... the, the Now, here's the deal. Uh, Leanne and I will quite often have some, I call them heated debates. Others may call them arguments, but let's just say heated debates for now. And we'll have some clash. And it's interesting because I used to think that women get hysterical. Now, you need to understand the word hysteria is actually a Greek word in the Bible used to describe the woman. Don't shoot me down because when a woman goes in for, you know, for an operation to have her reproductive organs removed, they call it a hysterectomy where we get the word hysteria. So I used to think that women get hysterical, but I've discovered that women quite often get historical <laughs> as well as hysterical. <laughs> and so something that was forgiven a few months ago, all of a sudden is the hook is thrown in. It's pulled up and it's placed on the table. Uh, let me bring you back to Exhibit A. Uh, Your Honor, I'd like to uh, bring to the court this morning evidence, fresh evidence to show that my husband is a doofus. Uh, I point to Exhibit A, 
B, C, D, E, all the way down to Z. But can I just tell you, if you want a great marriage and if you want a great relationship, true forgiveness is actually forfeiting your right to bring up the past and bring it back. Because here's the deal with the past. We can't change it. There's not you or I powerful enough to go back in time. I know Cher says, if I could turn back time. You can't, sweetheart. Just get over it, love. If I could find a way. You can't find a way. You know, you, you can have a time machine. Buy a time machine online. Go back to your college days when you, you missed out on that football thing. Napoleon Dynamite. Don't you wish you could go back? Man, I was, you can't go back. You can't go back. You can't change the past. So when we forgive, true forgiveness is, is God. God forgives and he chooses to forget. He chooses to forget. I've got to tell you, nobody can live under the weight of keeping a whole record of wrongs. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. So whenever I keep a record of wrongs against Leanne, I'm actually not operating in love. I can say I love you, but really they're just empty words. Because love is an action, it's a verb more than it is just a statement, a declaration, emotion, or a feeling. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If I love her, I don't drag up the past. I don't bring those things out and hold them against her. Somebody say amen. So number one, God's plan for you is companionship, relationship. We have to get on with other people. And there are just some wonderful principles I won't get into today. But over you know, the, the course of this, this uh relationship serious month you're going to learn some powerful things the second one was that God's plan is to fulfill your deepest longings your deepest longings don't let the don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that the people outside the doors of of church they're having the best sex they're having the best relationships because hey they don't get committed to one person they're just having lots of shallow little flings not getting committed and, and you know if you don't get committed you can't get hurt and and I've got to tell you, the reason that their life is empty, the, I'm telling you, the reason their life is full of dissatisfaction is because they don't know the power of commitment. The greater the commitment, the greater the investment, the greater the return. Do you realize that God so loved the world, He gave, He invested, He committed Himself. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. God made the greatest commitment. When did He do it? Well, you and I were yet sinners well you and I were so far from him he made a commitment to love us he made a commitment to sacrifice for us he made a commitment to to be in connection with you and I long before we even desired to be in connection with him because of that commitment that he made of giving his only begotten son today 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year there is not a nation continent people language ethos anywhere on this planet where there is not worship and prayer and devotion going up to the father because of a commitment he made 2,000 years ago in fact the Bible says Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world God never works towards commitment God always works from commitment if your relationship is empty and shallow I'll tell you why it is is because you're still dealing with the commitment thing we live in a world that hates commitment that shuns commitment that doesn't understand commitment and I'm telling you and if you if you're looking for instruction from the world for relationship fulfillment and relationship satisfaction you're going to be continually deeply disappointed 
disappointed. But when I look at the Word of God, I see proof. Today, 7 billion people, almost 2.5 billion people on the planet worshiping the one true God because He began with commitment. When Jesus called the disciples, He didn't sit down with the guys and say, Hey, listen, guys, I've got this awesome vision. Can I do a presentation for you? I've got this plan. And Peter, I see you here in the plan. And Judas, what do you... What are you doing with these wallet? Put it back. I see you here in this place. He, he, he didn't lay out a vision hoping that they would buy in and work to it. He just said, follow me. They're out fishing. And then Jesus walks past, guys, follow me. Me? Follow me. He, what? I don't even know who you are. Jesus begins at commitment. Everything begins. Jesus never works toward. He works from. When I stood at an altar 22 years ago this Friday, I made a commitment that for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, that I am taking Leanne to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. It was a commitment. And I found that the kingdom works from a place of commitment. When you, when you make a commitment, you're making an investment. You can't expect the return. So many people say, well, when I get a return, then I'll, then I'll invest. Like, how, how, how stupid can you be and still breathe? Like, if you, if you sit with a, with a financial planner and they say, hey, listen, you know, this is what we want you to do. Just, just wait for the return and then invest. You'll be waiting for the rest of your life thinking, where's my return? You've got to invest. Come on, somebody, to get a return. If, if, if you, if you, you know, kind of drive you know, through the Midwest, you know, through Ohio or somewhere, and you've got all this beautiful farmland, and there's a farmer every day, you know, go, you know he goes to, to, to the window, and he goes, Ethel, you know, I hope the harvest is coming today. And he's looking out there, and, and you go, hey, you know, what are you believing for? I'm believing for wheat. I'm believing for corn. And he's looking at the window, and you're like, man, what are you believing for? I don't know. I don't care. Just a harvest. I want a harvest of something. What did you sow? What? What did you sow? Hey? What seed did you sow? Well, I didn't sow anything. I'm just believing God for a harvest. You've got to sow, come on somebody, to get a harvest. So whatever a man soweth, that he shall also reap. And so can I just tell you, sow commitment. Life begins at commitment. Life satisfaction, fulfillment begins at devotion. Don't ever believe for one minute that the world is having a much better relationship experience than you are, that the world is having better sex than you are. I'm telling you, it's all in the house of God. It's in the kingdom of God. If you trust God's word, you'll find your life is exceptional. 22 years this Friday, Leanne and I have been married. And I've got to tell you, she is more stunning, more beautiful, more foxy. Hotter than white hot than, you know, 22 years later than when we were first courting. And so God wants to fulfill. Number three that I didn't get to last week, God has given us divine keys to have relational success. God has given us divine keys to have relational success. Let me just give you a few of those keys. The first one is that before God creates woman, before God puts Adam into a sleep, Adam has a relationship with God. Now, I shared this last week in the 12 p.m. service because it came to me in the worship on the 12 p.m. service. 
The Bible says that God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, takes out a rib, and he makes the woman. Before that, the Bible says the Lord God brought all the animals to Adam to see what Adam would call them. Whatever Adam called them, that was its name. But a suitable helper for Adam was not found amongst the animals. Because Adam had a relationship with God, he was able to hold out. He didn't settle for a jackass. Excuse me, donkey. He he didn't settle for an orangutan. This is a word for somebody. Because you will find if you don't have this relationship, then you'll look because, watch this, Adam named all the animals. There wasn't one animal in all of creation that Adam did not name. And yet in everything that Adam could see, there was not somebody suitable for him. Had Adam not have had this relationship right to sustain him, he possibly could have, he possibly could have, I know so many people who are dating an orang, who are dating, who are dating less than because they don't have this relationship and out of desperate, out of being in desperation have compromised and I'm telling you you will never be satisfied build a relationship with God get your relationship with God get your self-esteem from God get your self-image from God get your completeness from God he makes me whole no he doesn't Jesus makes you whole Jesus is the only one who will never hurt you leave you forsake you or let you down he will heal you he will build you he will restore you get this and then you have a complete you to give to somebody else Adam had the relationship with God that's the first one that you got to work on that's why church exists church exists primarily to connect you with God when you've got God when you've got a connection with God you have God's spirit and God's love and God's mercy and God's word flowing through you I am a better husband because of my connection with God when I am away from God or disconnected from God or haven't had time with God you ask Leanne I am not the best husband I can be but when I bask in his presence when I come to church my God I realize what a doofus I am how many areas in my life I need to change the things I need to work on that those gruff comments that whatever need to change and I go straight away I apologize sweetheart I need to work on this that was wrong that I did it I'm a better person because of this you need to have this you've got to have this do you have a relationship with God if you don't like American Express, don't leave church without it. Get a relationship with God. Don't leave here today the same way you came in. Somebody say amen. All right, the second thing I want you, you to understand is that God puts Adam in the garden. He puts Adam in the garden because the next key that you and I need to, to learn is not just to have a relationship with God, but we need to learn a harvest mindset. We need to develop a harvest mindset. Adam was created in the wilderness. In the wilderness. He was created in the... Wilderness is about survival. In the, the wilderness is not about sowing and reaping. The wilderness is it's rugged, it's tough, it's hostile, it's harsh. It's about survival. Men love competition. Men, there's a ruggedness, there's a roughness, there's a survival, there's a hunt and kill, there's a kill or be killed because men were created in the wilderness. But God took the man that he created in the wilderness and he places him in the garden. 
In the garden, he causes Adam to fall asleep. And in the garden, he takes a rib out of Adam and he creates the woman. She was created in the garden. When she first opens her eyes, she sees beautiful. She sees paradisio. She sees trees and flowers and fruit and orchards and animals and colors and vibrancy and smells the perfumes of all the different. She just sees perfection. She sees beautiful. That's why she's nagging you about those socks with holes in it. That's why she's nagging you about leaving things on the floor and leaving things on the kitchen. Can't you just straighten up after yourself? Why can't you make the bed? Because she's, pick up your underwear that are lying on the floor. Pick up those socks. Look at your shoes that just left all over the cleat. Put that, because she is, she is order. She loves order. That's, it, it's, that's her makeup. But God takes the man who's created in the wilderness and he puts him in a garden the reason I say that is because men is not going to come natural to you puts him in a garden to to tend and to 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 keep the garden because God is 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 about relationship he's about connection but even more than that he's about sowing and reaping he's trying to teach Adam that that Adam you need to understand I'm giving you responsibility Men struggle with responsibility. That's why, you know, we want sex. We're just not sure if we want to get married. Well, the kingdom teaches no married, no sex. That's how it works. And so you, you start at res- taking responsibility. You start at commitment. If you start at commitment, you end up with fulfillment in pleasure in, in that area. But man struggles with that. So that's why God takes a wilderness created being and puts him in a garden to teach him the power of sowing and reaping. Teach him the power of a harvest. Because everything in the garden, God says, all the trees that you may freely, every tree has seed within itself. In other words, Adam, if you like the apples and you want more, just plant the seeds that are inside him. I'll put seeds in there. I really like oranges, God. Well, have a look inside, Adam. I'll put seeds in there. You want more oranges? Plant a whole orchard. There's seeds in there. Plant as many. I really like watermelon. You like watermelon? Adam, have a look inside. I put seed in there. Plant it. You can have as much watermelon. God, God puts it because God is trying to teach him that whatever he wants more of, he's got to, he's got to, he's got to sow because it's about a harvest. Let me tell you, every action and every word will bring a harvest back into your life. Now, I'm going to tell you, there is some harvest you don't want to have in your life. You don't want the harvest of critical, negative, judgmental words because the harvest is too great for you to bear. That's why Jesus says forgive. That's why Jesus says sow mercy. That's why Jesus says love. Because when you show, when you, when you are always harsh and critical with your spouse, you do not get an open, loving, you get, de- you get defensive, you get shut down, you get closed, you get dead, you get numb. You don't want, that's not the harvest that you want. Galatians 6, 7 says, you know, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, he shall also reap. I can't believe the people I hear over the years and they say, well, if God wants me to have a great marriage, I'll have a great marriage. What planet do you live on? God gave you dominion. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. In action... And in word, in word and in deed. If you sow positive words, you're going to have a positive harvest. If you sow positive deeds, positive action, buying your wife flowers, taking her on a date. Now, let me just tell you, when God created the woman, he created her with cycles. He created her with cycles. A woman is cyclic. A man is not cyclic. A man is always on. He's just ready to go, 
all the time. But a woman, she's, she has seasons, she has cycles. Every 28 days, her body goes through a cycle. So you may have told her last month that she's the most beautiful woman on the planet. You may have told her last month that you love her. You may have told her last month that she is drop-dead gorgeous. She's been through a cycle. Everything's been washed out. You've got to tell her again. You've got to tell her again and again and again. A man's not like that. I'm still living on, you know, Leanne, you know, telling me, you know, years ago that, you know, I'm all that in a bag of chips. And I'll still get out and, you know, shower in front of the mirror, do a little flex. <laughs> She's right. You know, and kind of walk up. Because I'm still living on. And, and we think, Adam, everyone say learned behavior. See, Adam was a wilderness man, but God puts him in a garden for a reason. Because he has to learn things that are not natural to him. These are things that are not natural to you. They're not natural to you, men. They're things that you've got to learn. Now watch this. The Bible says that God brought all the animals to Adam to see what Adam would call them. And whatever Adam called them, that's what they became. I remember when we were living in New Zealand. It was an incredibly busy season. And, uh, and we were out six nights a week, you know, with our church and and our kind of church philosophy over there was very much one of always making withdrawals on your marriage it was all for the kingdom Jesus gave his life so we ought to give ours and and uh, it was always sacrifice and and as soon as you kind of felt like man I'm really tired well Jesus wasn't tired when he went to the you know and uh, you know and uh, you know you know there are people going to hell and you know your extra effort is you know and so you know so always making but how many people know that you can only make so many withdrawals before you before that, you know, think insufficient funds. You can only have so many emotional and relational withdrawals before eh, 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 insufficient funds starts coming up. Well, we were running on insufficient funds and we were fighting so bad. And I remember one time we had this big argument and, uh, you know, Leanne was in tears and I, I didn't understand because the teaching that I received back then was that me as the head of the house and as the man of God, my job was to take the word of God and bring correction to my wife. That I was, you know, I was to keep my wife in line by using the word of God. And, uh, but if you actually read in Ephesians uh, 5.25 and 5.26, it actually says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, sanctifying her, through the washing of the water of the Word of God. I didn't realize that back then. This is something I've learned, you know, over the last decade. I used to use the Word of God as a rod. I used to use the Word of God as a ruler. I used to use the Word of God, and I would, I would almost revel in, I don't have time to deal with your, with your emotional roller coaster up and down, your needs. I don't have time, woman. Let me just tell you, this is what the Bible says. See what the Bible says? This is what you are. See Proverbs 31? See this, see this, see where you are. See the, see the difference here. This is where God and this is where you. Oh, you must be such a disappointment. I know you're a disappointment to me. You're a disappointment. And so nobody can live under that. If, 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 God, if, God visit, if God met with you every day and just pulled out his word and says, now where do you measure up today, doofus? You, you'd find that none of us could. What a horrible. I, I wouldn't want to meet with him. I wouldn't. Oh, my God. I've got to go and meet with God again and have him show me what a schmuck I am. How far. No one would want to, why, why would someone want to stay married to a, 
oh gosh, I must have a really naughty word, a, a doofus uh, who, who, who is holding the Word of God as a measuring stick against. That's not what the Bible says the Word of God is for. The Bible says the Word of God is to wash her, is to wash her with the water of the Word, to wash her fears, to wash her insecurities, to wash her struggles, to wash away her inhibitions, to wash away all of those faults and all of those things, to use the Word of God to wash her. And, and, and so I didn't realize that. And so God brings all the animals to Adam. So we have this big fight. And, uh, and so I'm done. I am, I am done. I am done. I, I, I'm six days a week out in church, six nights a week I'm out. And I come home, I expect one night of romance, just one night of romance, and you're saying there's no hanky-panky if there's no talky war. I'm not, well, I don't have time. And so, and so here we come to this, this thing. And so I'm yelling at her. And, and, so, and, it, and it is out of control. And so, so I realize she is, she is not relenting. She's drawn a lot and she is done. And so I thought, where do I go? I'm not getting through. I thought, I know. I know. That's it. That's it, woman. I'm going to go and talk to God. I am. I'm talking to him, the big guy upstairs. Don't be surprised if you break out and boils under the judgment of God. And so, because I'm the man of God and you still got domestic duties. And so, true story. So I, I threaten her. I'm going to, you know, I'm tattle, I'm going to tattle, tattle, I'm telling God. And so, so I walk out, you know, and uh, slam the door and I'm, you know, walk out. And, uh, you know, and, I start, and, and when you talk to God, when you talk to God in prayer, you know, you don't want to just, you don't want to open by throwing your wife under the bus. This is not how you open, you segue your way there. A segway. And so I, you know, I just kind of, I walk out and I'm like, God. It's me, Yerks. Oh, sorry, you're, of course you know that. Uh, how you doing? Oh, another stupid question. Good, always good. Um, how am I doing? Whew, thanks for asking. Struggling, really. And uh, whew, the woman you gave me, if, if you gave me, I could have just kind of rushed ahead and, uh, whoo, hello. And a little bit out there, and uh, insubordinate, rebellious, and uh, you know. And I said, God, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not trying to. Throw I said, you know, God, I can't remember the last time she had a quiet time. Possibly backslidden. <laughs> Possibly backslidden. And uh, you know, I'm just throwing her under the. I'm throwing her under the bus. I mean, I am just here's the bus, and just push her in front. And as clear as anything, God interrupts me. God interrupts me. He says, Yerks, your wife is a product." Of your husbandry. <laughs> what? He's like, your wife is a product of your husbandry. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, it's your leadership that's produced what you have today. He says, when I gave her to you, she was virtually unformed. Now she is what you have shaped her to be. I'm like, oh my God, that's not fair. And God says, well, Yerkes, tell me what kind of a wife you want. I thought, phew, you have me going there. Oh, man, cool. So I get to trade her in. I said, well, God, I really want um, like uh, a beautiful, foxy princess. And then he's like, okay, when was the last time you called Leanne beautiful, foxy princess? When she starts behaving like one, then I'll call her one. God's like, it doesn't work like that. I said, why? He's like, it doesn't work like that. He says, before I gave Adam a woman, what did I do? I said, you put him into a sleep and, and took out a rib. And God says, no, no, before that. So well, before that, you said it wasn't good for man to be alone. And God says, after that. So after that, you put him into sleep. And God says, wrong. I said, no, it's right. It's in Genesis. You 
said, it's not good for man to be alone. You put him in a sleep, took out a rib. And God says, wrong. I said, it's not wrong. He goes, it's wrong. I said, God is not wrong. He goes, just read it. I said, I don't need to read it. I went to Bible college. I know. And God's like, Yerkes, go back and read it. I don't, I don't need to read it. He goes, like, read it. I said, God, I read it. It's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, I'll make a helper suitable to the man. You put the man in the sleep, you took out a rib. I've read it. And God's like, you're wrong. I'm not, I'm not wrong. I said, God, listen to me. Every year I do one of those read the Bible through in a year things. I start in, in, in Genesis in January. And by about March, I die every year in the Levitical laws. The Levitical laws kill me every year. Every year. Thou shalt not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. What kind of sick people do this stuff? Thou shalt not eat anything with a cloven hoof. Who is doing this? You people make me. And so, and I'm like, you know, it's so I die. I die there. But if there's one book I've read every year, it's Genesis. I say, God, I know it. It's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, I'll make a helper. You put him into a sleep to get a rib. God says, wrong. I said, right, I'll prove you. So I go to Genesis. See, here it says, and the Lord God said, verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Verse 19, out of the ground. That wasn't there before. You're cheating. God said, Jerks, it was always there. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called them, that's what they became. And God says, what do you call Leanne? You've been calling her stupid, rebellious, insubordinate, hopeless, defiant. You've been calling her all of these names. I'm like, oh, hang on, God, whoa, 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 whoa. That's how she's behaving. And God says, well, you need to understand that whatever you call her, that's what she'll become. And I realized it wasn't Leanne that needed to change. It was me. I remember walking home and uh, when it's dark outside and the lights are on inside, you can see into that home. They can't really see out because the glass now becomes like a mirror because it's black, it's dark on the other side. So I looked in. And I saw my beautiful Leanne with her hands in the kitchen. There was no joy. There was no joy in her face. She's just cleaning up domestically. Her hair just seemed lifeless and colorless. There was just no joy. There was no spark. I thought, my God, what have I done? What have I done? And for a moment, I saw the 17-year-old girl that stood at an altar, exchanged vows and trusted her future to this flipping knuckleberry. And I made a vow before God that I would take her on an adventure called life, that I would cherish her, that I would be devoted to her, that I would love her. And here, just five years in, I'd ruined everything. So I made a decision that day. And I, I remember telling Leanne, and it just kind of, she didn't believe it because she didn't think I could change. And I'd love to tell you that overnight, it probably took me about 15 or 16 months, 15 or 16 months to undo those five years of harsh, critical, negative, judgmental. But I just refused to call it anything but beautiful, anything but princess, anything but magnificent. That's why when she preaches, I'm the first to cheer her on. When she preaches, I'm the first to stand up and clap because I'm looking at an extraordinary woman. I'm looking at a woman whose grace, whose wisdom, whose counsel, whose insight is 
so beyond anywhere else. And it wasn't that because she's graduated from Harvard, Oxford or Cambridge, or she's got degrees in this, or she comes from good. It's because simply I've made a decision. I'm speaking the word of God over her life to wash her. Husbands, the most powerful thing you can do is tell your wife she's beautiful. Tell her she's magnificent. Let me just finish with this. In Proverbs 31, you know, when we would fight, I would, I was so bad. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that God still uses me. I was so bad. I would, when we would have an argument, I would get the Bible and I would open it to Proverbs 31 and I'd leave it on the table and just kind of walk away so that, it, you know, if Leanne kind of stumbled across the Bible, it was open on Proverbs 31. You know, the Proverbs 31 woman, she rises while it is yet night. She prepares food for her household. She considers a field and buys it. She works with her hands. She works with linen and fine yarn. You know, she, she raises her children and her children and all this kind of, and like, she's extraordinary. She's like this bomb diggity, um, you know. And uh, see, where, see where the Bible is, see where you are. You know, that's, that was the point. And, uh, but if you actually get to verse 28 and 29, it says this, it says, her children rise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Then in inverted commas, it has what he praises her with. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Many daughters have done well, but you, sweetheart, excel them all. In other words, there are many beautiful women on the planet, but sweetheart, you are head and shoulders above them all. Why is this Proverbs 31 woman so extraordinary? It's because of the environment the husband creates in the home. That when mama walks in, the children rise and call her blessed. If you have children, you know that is not natural. That is behavior that has been instructed. That is behavior that has been developed. That is behavior that has been taught by the husband. The hu husband has created an atmosphere in the home. When mama comes in, she is respected. When mama comes in, she is honored. When mama comes in, she is revered. You don't back talk to mama. That's a whole nother message in there. But her husband praises her also. Many daughters have done well. Husbands, you want, you want your wife to be more loving and more magnificent. You let her know that she is the most beautiful thing in your sight. You, you let her know she's the most magnificent woman. She is a gift from God for you. If you don't like the, the woman, that go, then it's your fault, Mr. Husband, because she is a product of your husbandry. You change the words that are coming out of your mouth. And because I've been whooping on the men, let me just say this to you ladies. Every male fantasy, whether they admit it or not, is to be married to a cheerleader. Just let that little bombshell drop. Every man's fantasy is to be married to a cheerleader. I used to think it was just me. And uh, then I'm at the football with my brother-in-law, Andy Kabbalah, and he's yelling to the cheerleaders at the Chargers games. And Mike Clark's thinking, this is my pastor, and this is his brother-in-law, the evangelist. What church have I joined? And, uh, and until he started joining it. No, he didn't. And, uh, and, uh, but the truth is, the truth is, listen, every husband longs for his wife to be his biggest cheerleader. And it's very easy, wives, for you just to point out all his faults, be critical of all the things that he doesn't do and needs to do and hasn't done and what he... But be his biggest cheerleader. Be his... Death and life is in the power of the tongue. Choose to speak life, not death. Amen.